Hola, and welcome to Spanish Answers, a podcast that gives you unas llavitas claves as you unlock your Spanish language adventure. I'm your host, Sarah, with Language Answers, and today in episode 47, we'll be talking about reflexive verbs, or more accurately, part two of this three-part series on Spanish reflexive verbs. Now, if you need a refresher on what a reflexive verb is or some of the basics regarding it, then please go back to episode 46. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be looking at how making a verb reflexive can sometimes significantly change its meaning. At times, this change is subtle, such as preguntar versus preguntarse, and other times it can be big enough to be a potential social blunder, like with dejar versus dejarse. So in today's episode, we're going to focus on examples where the change is subtle. And then, of course, we'll continue our cultural tip on Colombia, focusing today on unique Colombian traditions. So, let's get started. One quick note before we get started, I'm going to talk a little bit about how I came up with these verbs, and in doing so, I am going to mention a Spanish frequency dictionary. Now, if you remember from last week, I do have links in the show notes and on the blog that goes to this book, and I just want to be clear, open, and transparent, it is an affiliate link to Amazon. So you can, of course, visit the blog, and I have a link to my disclosure policy, but in essence, at no extra charge to you, I receive a small commission if you choose to purchase the product using this link. Now, I only recommend products this way, if I've bought them and used them myself and that I found them, you know, useful. The Spanish Frequency Dictionary that I used for this is by mostusedwords.com. And again, it's not a perfect frequency dictionary, but also again, I have yet to find one that is. But I use this to kind of find the most frequently used reflexive verbs. So I selected the following list based not only on their ranking in this book, on, you know, their how frequent they are, but also on their meaning using wordreference.com and their relevance to what I want to talk about in this episode. So, you know, how do they show a significant change? And is this change subtle or is it really striking based on whether or not the verb is reflexive? So here are 10 fun examples where changing the verb to a reflexive verb creates a subtle change in the overall meaning. Number one is saber, versus saberse. So saber means to know something, whereas saberse means to know something by heart, or as they would say in Spanish, tener en memoria. So here are some example sentences. For saber, ella sabe español. She knows Spanish. Saberse, me sé esta canción porque mi hermanita la canta cada día. I know this song by heart because my little sister sings it every day. I'm sure some of you can relate. So, ella sabe español. She knows Spanish. She speaks it, all of that. Saber. Me sé esta canción porque mi hermanita la canta cada día. I know this song by heart because my little sister sings it every day. Saberse. Number two, ir, which means to go versus irse, which is to leave. Kind of, normally it means you're leaving right in the moment. 
So an example of ir is Él va a ir a Irlanda por la mañana. He is going to Ireland in the morning. Now we actually have ir being used in two different ways in this sentence, right? It's being used to show a future action, ir a, so va a, and then ir to go, ir a Irlanda, to go to Ireland. So he is going to Ireland in the morning. Él va a ir a Irlanda por la mañana. Or you could say, ellas fueron a la tienda ayer. They went to the store yesterday. Ellas fueron a la tienda ayer. Now, if you add an SE on the end and make it reflexive, irse, here are some sentence examples of reflexive. Me voy. Just plain and simple. I'm leaving. I've heard this one a lot. Me voy. I love it. It's so straightforward. I'm leaving. So let me clarify. In English, right, if we say I'm leaving, it generally means I'm really ticked. I mean, you might yell out the door, I'm leaving, goodbye. But normally if you see it written, it kind of has this connotation of I'm leaving, I'm done with this. It, it doesn't have that connotation in Spanish that I'm aware of. I believe it can be used that way, but this is just a really quick and easy way to say that I'm going. Me voy. Then there's se van al parque. They're going to the park. And if you were to say se van al parque, they're going to the park, and you're implying that they're going to the park right now versus they go to the park. Ellos van al parque. They're going to the park, but it might not necessarily be right now. Se van al parque is they're going right now. This is a really tricky one, ir versus irse. So I've included a link in the blog going to an article by Tell Me in Spanish if you want more guidance on when and how to use ir versus irse. And of course, I will include it in the episode show notes. But definitely recommend that you study that one up a little more because it is, it is tricky. Now, number three, ver, to see, to understand, or to watch something. If you add se to it and make it reflexive, verse, it means to see oneself or to find oneself. So it kind of sounds very philosophical, doesn't it? So here are some examples. Ver, ellos vieron la película. They saw the movie. Verse, él puede verse como abogado. He can see himself being a lawyer. So, verse is definitely, in my mind, it seems much more philosophical, much more, I'd say a little bit poetic. Number four, decir, to say or to tell. And then if you make it reflexive, decirse, it's to tell oneself, to talk to oneself. If I wanted to say it how a, uh, how they'd say it in Spain, I'd say decir or decirse. Now, whether to use the lisp or not, um, I mean, I studied in Spain for a while, which means that I have kind of a Castilian accent, but I also grew up learning Latin American Spanish, so I've got an interesting combination of both. And someday I will figure out if I want to completely switch over to the ceseo or ceseo or distinción. And if you'd like to know more about the differences there, right, this isn't really the episode to talk about that, but I will include a link to Fluent U that does a great job of explaining the differences and how you pr produce that lisp and when you produce it and all of that. So that will be in the show notes for sure. Anyways, getting back to the whole point of this podcast episode, decir versus decirse. So an example of decir is no me digas, don't tell me. 
And that's quite a common exclamation if someone tells you something that's just shocking or surprises you. No me digas. I love this phrase. And then there's decirse. Ella se dijo que no debería tener miedo. She told herself she shouldn't be afraid. So you know how in English literature sometimes they'll talk about how someone was muttering to themselves and they were talking to themselves. Decirse is the word you would use. Number five, mirar, to look or to watch. And then if you make it reflexive, mirarse, it means to look at yourself or to check yourself out. So an example of mirar is mirame hacer una rueda de carro. Watch me do a cartwheel. Mirame hacer una rueda de carro. And mirarse. Mirate. Está sucio. Look at you. You're filthy. You know, look at yourself. And, you know, of course, if you check yourself out, you know, you can check yourself out surreptitiously in the mirror. You know, make sure your teeth are clean, all that. So, mirar, to look or to watch, versus mirarse, to look at yourself, to check yourself out. Number six is comer, to eat. And then reflexive, comerse, means to completely eat something or to gulp it down. For example, if you use comer, ellos comieron sus sandwiches. They ate their sandwiches, pretty normal, very common verb. And then comerse, ellos se comieron su comida. They gulped down their food. It's a very subtle difference, right? Between eating something and gulping it down. You're still technically eating it, you're just eating it really quickly, and you're eating all of it. So I love the subtlety here between comer and comerse. Okay, number seven, escuchar, to listen to, versus escucharse, which is basically you like to listen to yourself talk, escucharse. So be careful when using escuchar, you don't want to accidentally be reflexive. It's not very uh, flattering, shall we say. So escuchar. Me gusta escuchar los sonidos del mar. I like to listen to the sounds of the ocean. You're listening to other things, you know. Listening to other things is a good thing. To listen is a hard skill, right? And then you've got escucharse. Le gusta escucharle. He likes the sound of his own voice. Literally what it says is he likes to listen to himself. And again, not a very flattering rendition of oneself. So, me gusta escuchar los sonidos del mar versus le gusta escucharle. Now, number eight, morir, to die, versus morirse, which means to pass away or to be dying of hunger or thirst. Morirse is a fascinating phrase. So let's talk a little bit about our example sentences first. An example of morir is, mi abuelo murió el año pasado. My grandfather died last year. Mi abuelo murió el año pasado. And then you've got morirse. Se murió en la noche. He passed away in the night. Se murió en la noche. He passed away in the night. Now, fallecer is what I have generally heard as a gentler version of saying someone died or passed away. It's a more popular euphemism for someone dying. But another way that we use morirse, right, is to be dying of hunger or thirst. It denotes a strong feeling like hunger, thirst, passion, anger. I love this phrase, me muero. So you know how we would say, I'm dying for a soda. In Spanish, they would say, me muero por una soda. I got this phrase to stick in my mind through a song that I absolutely love called Me Muero Por Conocerte by Alex Uvago with 
I'm going to butcher her name, I apologize, Amaya Montero. So I've included a link to that in the show notes and in the blog. Highly recommend that you look it up. Love the song. Anyways, number nine, dormir, to sleep, versus dormirse, to fall asleep. So do you see that subtle difference there? For example, you have, mi hija duerme, my daughter is sleeping. She's asleep, that's all there is to it. But if you do reflexive, it's, ella se dormió a las ocho. She fell asleep at eight. As a mother of an almost one-year-old, I can tell you that there is a huge difference between falling asleep and being asleep. And that is the difference between dormir and dormirse. So, mi hija duerme versus ella se durmió a las ocho. Number 10, our last one, creer, which is to think or believe, versus creerse, which is to think of oneself or to believe of oneself. An example of creer is ellas creen en un Dios amoroso. They believe in a loving God. Now, careful here, amoroso is not Amorous. I know that it looks super similar to this. Again, it's a false friend. Amoroso is not amorous. Amoroso means loving. If you wanted to say amorous, you would say something like lujurioso or apasionado. Now, apasionado can also be passionate or impassioned. So I think I would prefer the word lujurioso, right? Which is more like lustful and lecherous, which kind of goes more hand in hand with amorous. But amorous can at times also be a good thing, right? If you're amorous of your spouse, right? That's a good thing. So in that case, I would say apasionado. Again, context, connotation, all of that is going to be important in how you translate that word. But again, I'm getting sidetracked. This is this has been a really fun episode to record, so I am just going all over the place. Anyways, ellas creen en un Dios amoroso. They believe in a loving God. But with creerse, tienes que creértela. You gotta believe in yourself. Tienes que creértela. You've got to believe in yourself. Again, it is a subtle difference, right? Creer, to think or believe, versus creerse, to think of yourself or to believe in yourself. But it's kind of the difference between, you know, creer, you're thinking or believing something, it could be anything. But with creerse, you're describing how you think of yourself or you are believing yourself. So it can be a very uplifting reflexive verb. So that's our 10 examples for today. I really hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. And in the next episode, we're going to go over 10 examples where the change in meaning is quite more striking a.k.a. don't mix them up. All right. All right, so today's cultural tip is the last cultural tip that we'll be talking about regarding Colombia, and it's the unique Colombian traditions. So here are three traditions unique to Colombia. Numero uno. El Paseo de Olla, or the pot gathering. Families will gather together at the local river and they'll enjoy something called sencocho, which is a traditional stew of chicken, pork, or beef with potatoes, corn, cassava, plantains, tomatoes, and cilantro served with avocado and rice. It sounds delicious. It can be just to get together, like 
kind of like an American picnic, or it can be to celebrate something special. El Paseo de Olla. Numero dos is El Carnival de Negros y Blancos, the Black and White Festival. Now, I know that there are probably people in America who will take great offense to this, but just remember, this is not your culture, and it is not viewed the same way. In fact, when I first read it about it, I was like, wait, wait, this is a thing? And the more I read about it, the more excited I got, because this is just awesome. So basically, this carnival, El Carnival de Negros y Blancos, takes place from January 2nd through January 7th in the city of Pasto, and it is a UNESCO-recognized carnival and the largest carnival in southern Colombia. In fact, in 2009, UNESCO named El Carnival de Negros y Blancos as one of their masterpieces of the oral and intangible heritage of humanity. It is a five-day celebration of Colombia's rich history and diversity, and it includes the Colonies Parade, where farmers bring flowers and songs as tribute to the Virgen de las Mercedes in hopes of having a good harvest. There's the Children's Carnival. There's the arrival of the Castañeda family, which is a fictional family, and then there's the, yes, guinea pig festival. The biggest events happen on January 5th and 6th, and this is really the crux of everything. So on January 5th is Black's Day. This is where people dance and they sing in the streets while wearing black face paint, either on their faces or on their bodies. And throughout the day, people shout, Que viven los negros! Again, side note, this is not American culture. This is not the same thing as blackface. So... If you can remove yourself from that, then you will be better equipped to understand what this carnival is about. On January 6th, it's White's Day and the Grand Parade to kind of wrap everything up. So this is similar to Black's Day, except that people wear, that's right, white paint all over their faces and or on their bodies and shout, Que viven los blancos! In the show notes, among all the resources I've listed for the research I did for this episode, there is the official website of the Carnival, and I highly recommend that you check it out because they've got pictures for each of the days, and my goodness, the floats, you just you just can't even imagine the floats, and there's so much color, so much color. It's fantastic. Basically, again, this whole celebration just is one joyous party celebrating the diversity of the country. I love it. This is fantastic. Anyways, the Great Parade, or the Grand Parade, lasts for six hours, that's a long time, and finishes off the festival. So it goes for about nine miles and can be up to four miles long. There are large floats, there's dancing, music, and people in costume. So, technically the last day of the carnival is January 7th, but this day seems, from what I was reading, to mainly be for tourists, and I guess locals as well, right, to enjoy the local food, which is, yep, guinea pig. I am so curious about what that even tastes like. Speaking of weird food, that brings us to number three, numero tres, hormigas culonas, or fat-bottomed ants. These are leafcutter ants, they're female, and they have very big bottoms. So you probably already guessed where we're going with this, but they are considered a delicacy and are harvested in spring to eat. Yep. Now, I apologize if I've butchered this, but the Guane Indians were the original harvesters, and today it takes about five hours to gather them. 
Now, some people claim that they are an aphrodisiac, but they do have protein and vitamin B. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. People will roast them with salt or wine, or they'll fry them with salt water and remove, obviously, the wings by hand. You can find them on street corners as a snack or even in restaurants as a gourmet dish. I am also very curious about this dish, but I don't know if I could eat it. I really want to try it, but also it's a fat bottomed ant. I, I just don't know if I could. So if you have tried it, please let me know how that experience was for you. I am very curious. That concludes our final cultural tip on Colombia. Next week, we will begin our cultural tips on Argentina. Well, that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode or really enjoyed the podcast, please leave me a rockin' review. I would greatly appreciate it. And don't forget to check out the show notes for links to the resources I used for this episode. If you would prefer to read an approximate transcription of today's episode, you can also visit the episode's blog. I would love to help you on your Spanish journey, so if you have any questions about Spanish culture or grammar, or if you need a personal tutor or language consultant for your business, you can reach me at contact at languageanswers.com or visit my website for more information at www.languageanswers.com. Remember, learning a language is a lifelong journey. Aprovechalo, disfrútalo y compártelo. See you in two weeks! Hasta luego.